Wonderful. This, this is so much fun. You know, I, I actually really love our country. I do, and, I, and I'm so thankful that we have open hearts, and we've opened our heart to the world, and so many people from various nationalities and cultures are a part of our community and our community of faith. Isn't it wonderful? When we get to heaven, there will be people from every kindred language and tongue, and we'll be worshiping God together. I love that. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Amen. So I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles, and Patty, would you mind just giving me that little remote? I forgot to bring it up. I, I did bring up some good things, but not everything. Okay, thank you. You see how submissive that wife is? That's so beautiful. <laughs> it's fitting into my sermon here perfectly. You'll see that. <clears throat> About 30 miles from Belfast, North Ireland, close to the shore of Strangford Lock, is a stately home that tourists often visit. It's called Castleward. The house was built in 1760, and its original owners, Bernard Ward, he was the first Viscount of Bangor, and his wife, Lady Anne, had a little bit of a disagreement on what the house should look like. As a matter of fact, they displayed two quite different styles of architecture. The rear of the house is Gothic, and while the front is neoclassic, you say, well, why the different styles? Well, they just couldn't agree. In fact, not only did they differ in their architectural preferences, they apparently had many other differences because Lady Anne finally just left the relationship. And depending on your point of view, the house is either a celebration of diversity or a monument to people's stubbornness. How tragic that so many human relationships, neither party will back down, and the end is fragmentation. And we see that a lot. Some marriages are like that, a constant source of conflict and contention, both parties striving to have their way. Now, healthy families are the ones where all the members learn to submit to one another. See, last week, I was preaching all the way through Jeremiah, and we got to this point, and the last word that I shared last week was the word submission. And I have been burdened in my heart about families in our church, and so uh, Pastor Mark's been busy counseling people. I've been busy with people. I finally said, you know, one of the things I want to see happen is that we're going to see healthy families thriving in the midst of our congregation even in spite of the fragmentation of our culture. Because to me, that's the greatest witness of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings a reconciliation in relationships. And I'm not just talking about marriages here. I'm gonna talk about family. I'm gonna talk about how to get along with people. So if you're single, married, it doesn't really matter because what we're gonna talk about today is so critical in creating a healthy relational dynamic. Now, this attitude of mutual submission is actually the work of the God Spirit. You and I can't create this on our own. We need God's help. But it's as we yield to the Spirit of God, things begin to change in our lives. And as we submit to God, and as we learn to submit to each other, something beautiful is going to begin to emerge. Now, how many realize that one of the sad things is insecure people always have to have their way? You ever notice that? That's, that's a sign of insecurity. We need to realize that. And so what's really tragic is, you know, when we start out in life, we're, we're dependent on our parents. We're extremely dependent, and we're very self-centered. You know, babies are, they don't care that they wake you up in the middle of the night to feed them, change their diaper. They don't even think about it. They have a need, they expect you to meet it. And you notice that as we move along in life, some people never get past 
the stage where it's all about them. And that's a sign of immaturity. You see, you know when you're growing up is when you start to see beyond your, the walls of your own soul and you start looking out and you see the people around you. It doesn't just become about you anymore. It becomes about other people. And as a matter of fact, when we look at the life of Jesus, we recognize that his whole life was devoted for others. Jesus left his rights. He left his prerogative to be God and became a man and came to earth and laid aside his rights. He submitted to the will of the Father to accomplish something amazing and marvelous. He laid down his life for the sake of other people. That's the nature of love. And you know, when you have love at the heart of a relationship, things get transformed. Love is the fertile ground where, you know, uh, thriving relationships just flourish. But the key word in this is this word we're going to talk about today. It's the word submission. People who are secure in their relationship with God are not putting their trust in their own abilities or their ability to control life's situations. I would argue that if you're trying to be in control, give it up. You've never had it. You're just deceiving yourself. It's beyond your capacity. There's too many things happening to us and around us all the time. The only person that's ultimately in control is God himself. And what we need to learn how to do is trust him with our lives. Say, Lord, okay, this is, this is beyond my capacity, beyond my ability. I'm gonna trust you with what's happening. And so they are confident that God is in control and that God will ultimately have his way. Do you know God is actually working out a game plan right now? Does everybody know that? And a lot of times we look at it and we go, oh, well, it's really messy. You know, how many know he's dealing with all these people? Well, they got, he's given them a will and they're making all kinds of crazy choices and he's not trying to control us. He's calling us. He's, he's uh, entreating us to come to him. He's asking us to surrender to him. But you know, when people are willful and doing their own thing, they create a lot of problems for themselves and for a whole bunch of other people. And God's in the middle of all this mess, but he has a game plan. He's gonna bring it all to an amazing ending. And the people that surrender to God and depend on him and yield to him and submit to him, we're gonna spend eternity absent from all of the problems we're living in. And the people who are rebels and refuse to submit and keep doing their own thing, unfortunately, they're gonna be kept from what God has in store for humanity. That's tragic. That's a tragedy. But he leaves it up to us to respond to that or not. It seems that one of the great challenges in our present culture is the struggle, probably in the most meaningful and intimate relationship. Families, we can see it. They're, they're disintegrating all around us today. And the question I raise is why. And one of the primary reasons is they're not living a life controlled by God, the Holy Spirit. How many can say that's true? If God is in charge, you're going to have a different situation going down. But if you're in charge, it looks a lot different. That's a big problem in the room. We all have the same problem. We've got to lay down our rights. You know, I actually was teaching here in 1 Corinthians, one of my lessons, and I spent the whole, it, Paul's argument was, I have all of these rights, and he was defending all his rights, and at the very end he goes, but I'm laying them all down for your sake. Isn't that beautiful? See, we all have rights. We all know that, but our culture is just talking about rights all the time, but it's really hard to get us to lay them down. We have to have a motivation that's greater than just for ourselves, and that's what we need to realize. 
So, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're going to take a look at the book of Ephesians here this morning. We're going to look at a few of the verses there. A kind of an overview of what a Christian family should look like. You know, how to build a healthy family. How to have this healthy family. And we find that the marriage and the home that's controlled by uh, something greater than our own sin nature. It's got to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And we see that. Starts out here, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine. Have you noticed our culture today? We've changed the laws. We've legalized a lot of chemicals today. How many know it hasn't really eradicated chemical dependency at all? We probably have more of it today than ever before. It's interesting. Here it says, don't get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine. By the way, is that optional? Well, if you look at the Greek language, it's an imperative. It's a command. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't, get, don't, get, don't allow your mental capacity to be altered by a chemical. I'm giving a new paraphrase to this. How's that? Are people listening to this? No, they're not. And what happens when we allow that our, our mental capacity to be altered by a chemical that leads to what? It leads to debauchery. So we begin to do things that in a sober frame of mind we would never do, but because we've allowed uh, a chemical you know, to take over our minds and alter its state, we'll end up doing things that we would will, we will be ashamed of in a regular state of mind. It's destructive. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. This is, this is the actual opposite of what God intends. God wants our state to be affected, but not by chemicals, but by his presence. That we're full of the Spirit. We're living in the Spirit. We're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when, you're, when you see the Holy Spirit at work, what's the end result of the Spirit? Love. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And if we are not loving, we're not that controlled by the Spirit, are we not? Because that's the result of the Spirit. Actually, it even tells us we have self-control. Powerful stuff. We're patient. We're gentle. We're kind. It's amazing. You know, we don't have a Christian marriage and home because we're Christians. This is a fallacy. You know, people say, well, that's a Christian home. That's a Christian marriage. I go, no, not necessarily. There's a lot of homes that have Christians in it, but it's not a Christian home. Well, you, what's the difference, Pastor? You only have a Christian home when every member is submitted to one another. That's a Christian home. Big difference, folks. So let's take a look at what that really means. How do we live in a practical sense what a real Christian home should look like? Because I'm telling you, there's a world of difference between two people who say they're Christians fighting all the time in conflict and there's strife and all kinds of difficulty in a home compared to the home where there's mutual submission. It's a totally different place. That's a Christian home. So let's take a look at the three things we need to understand in order to apply and develop a thriving, healthy family in a fragmented society. And the first one is, what is meant by submission? It means yielding to another. Now, sometimes submission can be done by force, but that's not what we're talking about here because everybody that's forced to do something becomes very resentful and they're angry. They're gonna, they're gonna rebel against that. That's un and it creates bitterness and hurt and there's been far too much exploitation and humiliation of people in our world and what does it produce? Strife and rebellion. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. 
Here, this is the idea of someone who willingly lays down their rights. This is a willing submission. Warren Worsby makes a distinction between subjugation and submission. He says somebody who's, who's subjugated, they turn into a person, they, what, the person who's subjugating or pressuring people to submit, they actually turn the other people into things. They view them as objects, not people with dignity and value. They destroy people's individuality. They remove people's freedom. That's a subjugated person. Submission makes a person more and more of what God wants them to become. It brings out their individuality. It gives them the freedom to accomplish all that God has for their life and ministry. You know, this is so amazing to me. When we yield to God, something begins to happen. We don't have to, you know, make it all happen. It's up to God. We're, we can relax. We're not, we're not uptight. We're not frustrated. We're not angry. We don't have to make people do anything. We let God be God. It's powerful. It goes on to say, subjugation is a weakness. It's the refuge of those who are afraid of maturity. When we have to control people, that's because the person that's trying to do that, they're weak. They, they may be bullies, but they're actually really weak. They're afraid. They haven't grown up. See, submission is a strength. It's the first step towards true maturity and ministry. So a spirit-controlled life expresses itself as we're reading through in Ephesians. Look at verse 19 and 20. You know what it talks about? Things like joyful, thankful, and happiness. I mean, this, the song in the heart. Listen to what he says here in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You know, you ever notice that when people are full of joy, they want to sing, they, they want to express this in a beautiful way. Then it goes on, giving thanks, it says. Always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many think that's a beautiful spirit? Joy, thanksgiving, doesn't that, sound, doesn't that sound like an environment you want to be a part of? How many, would like, how many like that kind of an environment? I, I like that myself, you know? It's, there's happiness, there's joy, there's gratitude, there's thanksgiving. That's a lot better than grumpy, complaining, critical, bitter, upset, angry. I'm just throwing out the two different contrasting environments. How many go, I, I really like the joyful, thankful, you know? How many go there? That's what, that's what you're signing up for. How many would like to hard pass on the other? That's where I'm at. Let's just push that aside, right? So he goes on and talks about the key. I think the key to all of this is mutual submission. Notice it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll come back to that motivation in a minute. But let's just talk about what is submission. J.H. Uh, Yoder says, he says that equality of worth is not identity of role. He, He's talking about this text of scripture we're going to look at. He says, the husband, the parent, the master have been invested with an authority to which others should submit. So in other words, God actually creates a system where there's somebody that's a leader. You've got to have some leadership involved. Okay, everybody follow that. Um, actually, you know, the, the, the idea here is submission is actually a humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. God actually is a God of order. And when we don't do things the way he wants us to do them, then we get out of order and we have all kinds of chaotic things happening. Who wants chaos? Actually, it says there's a wisdom from above, pure, peaceable, gentle. James talks about that. But the wisdom of this world is, is it, it's, it, it's chaotic. It's conflicted. There's, every evil work is happening. 
in the midst of the chaos. Some people like that. Well, that's demonic in nature. See, authority then must be seen as a responsibility and an opportunity. Those that are in leadership, they need to understand this is what authority is all about. It's the opportunity uh, to serve others. It's a responsibility. It must be used solely in this way. It's not about, you know, I have a, I have, I'm, I'm the boss here. I have all these privileges. That's wrong thinking. That's not even biblical thinking. The leader is the person who is the most responsible to serve the people around them. That's the right function. As a matter of fact, I would say if, if, a, if an employer to submit to his employees, because I think we have, it's mutual submission now, submit to one another. How does an employer submit to employees? By making sure the employee is well cared for. Isn't that beautiful? Who would not want to work for a boss that is so concerned about the well-being of their employees? You know, I went to Hershey, Pennsylvania years ago. Anybody know what Hershey's famous for? Chocolate. And Mr. Hershey built a whole community for his workers, and he even paid for their advanced education. Every person that worked for his company, all their kids got free university. How many think it'd be amazing to work for Mr. Hershey? He built a community that was so beautiful, Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's amazing. I've been there. I've seen it. It's incredible. That's what I'm talking about. That's an example of, you know, a leader who's submitting to those that they're leading. But let me make some, uh, some other qualifying statements then. The second thing I think we need to understand and apply in order to develop a thriving family is understanding the motivation. Why should I submit? Okay, it's a good question. And we've already seen the reason. The first reason we submit is it's clearly stated out of reverence for Christ. I'm not doing this because, you know, this person is so dynamic. I'm doing this because I have a love for Christ. I'm, I'm gonna obey Jesus. I'm gonna do it God's way, not my way. I'm gonna do it his way. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is so important. Notice what it did not say. It didn't say out of love, out of respect for each other. It didn't say that. You know why we're having a hard time submitting to people in authority today? Because we don't love them or we don't respect them. Come on, let's be honest. Isn't that true? I see the bumper stickers. I see all kinds of stuff, right? But even if our society thought that mutual submission or willful surrendering of our lives to each other was a wonderful idea, their motivation for doing so ends with their own human capacity to love and respect each other. How many know that's true? We have an end to how much we can do, right, as a human being. We're, you know, we, we come to the end of ourselves. I don't respect that decision. I don't respect that person. I don't, you know what? They're hurting me. They're, 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 I'm wounded. Why should I, I? I feel like, you know, I'm being quenched in this relationship. We have all these things going on on the inside of us. But here's what I'm going to say to us. If we come to God and say, okay, Lord, number one, I can't do this apart from your help. Step one. Lord, I need your spirit. Come and fill me with your life. Number two, listen, I, I feel so strongly about this. If we have the spirit of God in us, we can overcome addictions. If we have the spirit of God living and dwelling and ruling in our lives, we can actually learn how to willfully lay down our lives for others. We can learn how to love people properly. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that our human capacity is limited, but I believe that the spirit of Jesus living inside of us is unlimited. And God can empower us to do what needs to be done. How's that? We gotta come to him. He's the source of it. 
You're not going to do this in your own strength, believe me. But you know what, what happens when problems arise and they have no greater motivation or resource than themselves, then the society just starts falling apart. People are angry, they feel manipulated, used, exploited, abused. We can go on all those words. That's where we're living right now. How many say it's true? And a lot of relationships are there, and that's why it's so problematic. So, I think often the issue, I'm not saying always, but often the issue is we don't obey and submit to what we, tr because we don't truly trust Christ. That generally only comes to light under pressure. You only find out how much you're trusting Christ in a pressured time. That's when you really discover it. See, we think, you know, I, I can listen to people and say, oh, I really trust Jesus. Okay, next crisis, let me see how you handle it. Now I know if you really trust Christ. You see, the pressure tells me where you're putting your trust. It's true. I think that's one reason why God allows pressures, trials, and difficulties in our lives is to help us discover where we're putting our trust. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, we, we think we know God actually knows. And when the pressure comes on, how many have ever had those moments when the pressure came on, you go, flunk the test. My behavior was not really good in this situation. I didn't trust God very well. I was upset, frustrated, and all the rest of it. Come on now. Anybody else, anybody else ever have a, a failing grade on behavior under pressure? My hand is up. I'm guilty. No, a few of you, okay, few, a few are willing to admit it, okay. The rest of you, I feel for you. There's a trial coming up your way. Expose some of the things in your life that needs to be evaluated. But let's be honest, I, I know we can sit there and laugh about it, but it's true, isn't it true when you have a test? Now you find out where you're really at with God. Am I letting my emotions define my life or am I really standing on God's word saying, I'm gonna trust these words and I know how I feel. You see, I think a lot of us let our feelings define us. How many say that's probably true? I don't think it's wrong to have emotions. I, I still remember that beautiful scripture in the book of Ezekiel where God said he was so mad at the Israelites, he wanted to destroy them. Anybody remember that? Found in Exodus? Remember he wanted to kill these guys because they were idolaters? How many remember that story? Moses is going, please don't kill us, God. You know, God said, oh, I'm not gonna kill you, Moses, but everybody else is going. <laughs> Anybody else that story? How many recognize the story? But you know, in Ezekiel, we get a little insight into God that we don't get in the book of Exodus. You know what God says? I didn't treat them the way they deserved. I treated them based on who I am. And God says, I treated them with compassion and forgiveness. I'm impressed with God. He doesn't just let his emotions get away from him. He's got self-control. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? I love that. Okay. Here's another reason we should submit. It's because... Uh, it's God's way of building healthy community and healthy relationships. You can't have healthy marriages. You can't have healthy churches. You can't have healthy communities if everybody wants their way. You'll have conflict all the time. And you know, we live in a world rift with conflict. We see people fighting at home. We feel people fighting all over the place, people fighting, you know, all kinds of different reasons why they're fighting. How many say that's true? Our whole world is filled with conflict. And you know what I discovered in my graduate studies? I actually had a course called Conflict Management. This is my doctoral studies. And you know what I learned in Conflict Management? Lesson number one, all conflict is over control. 
Somebody wants to be right. Nobody wants to submit. That happens in churches. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. It happens in all kinds of relationships. You know what? I had a couple come and see me the other day. I go, okay, here, guys, real simple. We had a great conversation at the very end. I pointed this out to them. I said, do you want to be right or do you want to be loved? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, you know, I believe in truth. I think we have to stand for the truth. You'll hear that in a minute. But what I'm saying is sometimes you have to lay down your rights in order to have, to facilitate the relationship. It takes grace to do that. Forgiveness, love, that's powerful stuff. That's how you build healthy relationships. It's obvious from the passage that we read that wives are to submit. But what about husbands? Do husbands have to submit? Because it does say submit to one another. So let's take a look uh, at the third. See, this message is moving really quickly, but you know what? Uh, the challenging part is number three. Because everybody's going, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Pastor. Yeah, submission is there. We need to submit to God. That's really good. But how do we put it into practice? Now we're going to start squirming because this is application time. Isn't that true? Application time. How do we put this into practice? Yeah, you can agree with the, with the, with the, with the text, but here's what it says. Uh, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Well, I've got to ask the wives the questions. Do you submit to your husband like as if they were the Lord? Is that what it says? Well, that's what I read. What does it mean? Well, I'm going to quote Jill Briscoe because she's a lady because I don't even want to go down this track by myself. <laughs> she says, a wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. So why did Paul tell wives to submit to husbands when they were already in submission? Submit to one another. He said, she says, the clue is in the grammar. The verb submit is in a middle voice. This is uh, lit Greek stuff, you know. This is what they talk like. Literally, it means place yourself in submission. Sit down on the inside as well as on the outside. Well, what does she mean by that? Well, how many know, outwardly you could be going, I'm just the sweetest Christian wife, but inwardly you're going, I'm ready to take his head off. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's an attitude thing. That's what she's telling us. And, and I, I tell the story, it's so classic, it just it frames this so beautifully. Patty was teaching Sunday school, my wife, a little girl, she's six years old, and she's just you know up and down and all over the table and everything else. All the other kids are trying to listen to the lesson. She's moving around, and she's standing up. Patty finally says to her, would you please sit down? And the little girl sits down, and while she's sitting down, she says, loud enough for Patty to hear her, she goes, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> well, that's not submission, folks. Outwardly, she's complying, but inwardly, there's a problem. It's a, Paul was after the heart. It's a spirit of humility. It's by choice, not coercion. Paul is for women. He wants them to be able to choose to lay down their lives willingly for others. Richard Foster said, Paul made decision makers out of those who were forbidden to make decisions. Well, what an incredible opportunity. But he doesn't stop there. He paints this wonderful portrait of marriage. It answers why Christian wives are to submit. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Well, we got to stop there. We got to explain that because I've seen some really crazy stuff stated on this text, which means what, Pastor? Well, some people say in everything. Well, I like what John Stott says. We have to be careful not to overstate this biblical teaching on authority. It does not mean that the authority of a husband is unlimited or that wives are required to give unconditional obedience. No, the submission required is to God's authority delegated to human beings. What does he mean? Well, if therefore they misuse their God-given authority, example, asking a wife to do something that God forbids or forbidding what God commands, then it's her duty uh, to basically conscientiously not to do what's refusing to do what is being asked of her. The second question about the use of divinely delegated authority, we reply that it must never be used selfishly. In other words, if you're the person that's in the leadership role, it should never be at the expense of another person in your benefit. That's not what leadership is about. It's always we're giving our lives for the sake of others. Look what the husband, we're gonna talk about him. Submission, uh, well, we'll see it. it's by her attitude. We've kind of talked about that. But let me just close up this little verse here in the last verse of the chapter. The wife must respect her husband. Well, that's an interesting text because I've had wives come to see me and go, Pastor, I just don't respect my husband. You know, he's an idiot. They don't say it quite that way, but they describe him. And I'm, sometimes when I'm listening, I'm kind of in agreement. The guy's not using his head all right. But that's not gonna help the case. So, you know, I say it this way. Look, women need to understand something. If they will show a little respect to their husband, it goes a long way. He'll try to do better. But if you keep diminishing and depreciating the individual, they're probably gonna get tired of being put down all the time, you know? being compared to, why don't you do this, why don't you do, I mean, you, you can start getting into that situation, and it's not good. So, I think you have to start showing respect, and eventually, it's like anything in life, if I, if I start, you know, it's a decision, if I start showing respect, eventually I'll start feeling respect toward that person, and the other person will start responding to that. Now, we'll pick on the husbands for a minute because, you know, ladies, I just picked on you, but let me come to the husband. So uh, how does this submission apply to the husband? See, it says submit to one another. How does a husband submit to his wife? Very good question. The submission is a willingness to give up our rights for her sake. Look at what it says here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I question, how did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself up for her. He gave up his life for her. He is to deny himself in order for her well-being. How many see that? Can you see that? That's what it's about. That's the job of the husband. See, if you keep reading, he says, this is what Jesus does for you and me. He, he gives up his life so that you and I can become holy. He cleanses us by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So what is Jesus doing? He gives up his life so that you and I become something more than what we were. Husbands, I'm gonna say, you know one of the ways we should be loving our wives is helping them become all that they were meant to be. Isn't that beautiful? Now, if you're married to a husband who's saying to you, I want you to become all that you were meant to be and supports you and encourages you, isn't that what love is? 
I think so. That's what we should be doing. And when we do that, we're demonstrating love. It's not just we're saying words, but we're actually doing things to help our spouse become the person God wants them to become. I think that's amazing, you know? It says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. So one of the problems is some guys just don't love themselves. That's a problem. They gotta address that brokenness in their own soul. And then the other big thing that happens, you know, remember we're laying down our rights now. You know, one of the problems, I think, man, I'm gonna pick on you for a minute. Men have a harder time admitting they're wrong than women. Do you know that? Generally speaking, as a gender, it's true. And you know why the problem is? It's it's what Kenneth Blanchard basically talked about. It's all about ego. Guys have a huge ego to admit that they're wrong. You know, but we have to do it. Because if we don't admit we're wrong, what are we doing? Well, Blanchard said ego is nothing more. It's an acronym for edging God out. So if you want God out of the picture, just keep standing on your ego. God can't operate with somebody who's so full of themselves, there's nothing that can be done. We have to learn how to humble ourselves. And it's one of the ways we express love is we admit that we're wrong. We admit to our spouse, we're wrong. We admit to our children, we're wrong. We've done wrong here. We're not, you know, you're gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna make mistakes. It's, it's inevitable. That's just part of being a human being. So then how does the submission appear in the lives of children? It says your children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life, long life on the earth. Now, what does it mean to obey? Why is it important that children obey? Because if they don't learn to obey as children, they're not going to learn how to obey God when they're adults. I'm going to say that again. This is a very important lesson. You know, we're going to talk in a minute about how parents should submit to their children. But I'm just saying children should submit to their parents. And when children are rebellious, they're doing damage to themselves. Because if they stay in a rebellious state and they get older, they're going to live with a rebellious spirit. That's problematic. You know, I am really thankful I grew up in the age in which I did. You know, my, my dad was a little bit more intimidating than most dads. First of all, he was bigger than me. Not just because I was a kid, he was just bigger than me. He was, he's still, you know, he passed away a long time ago, but he was six feet and he moved furniture for a living, you know, and he was intimidating. I'm not the only one that said that. There were adults that were intimidated by him, so I know he was intimidating. But he was also loving and fun but when he told you to knock it off, you knocked it off. He wasn't going to fool around. And you knew you were going to get disciplined if you didn't stop it. And he expected us to be well-behaved. And he was, he'd tell us, he goes, I'm really proud of you kids. He expected good behavior from little kids. And he got it. He had an expectation for it. And we didn't want to cross his wires because he would deal with us. So obey means not only to listen to, but to listen as realizing that you are under authority. It means to listen under. If you're looking up for a commandment and you're looking up to your parents, you're looking up for a commandment. You're looking for your parents to speak into your lives because what you need to understand is a child is learning to obey God by obeying their parents. And if they disobey their parents, they're gonna learn to disobey God. That's the big lesson. 
So one of the things that young people, I'm going to pick on young adults now and uh, a lot of young people. Here, yeah, just hang on. You need to hear this. So one of the reasons why Jane Austen is so popular still today, you know, she wrote these books, one of them, Pride and Prejudice, a lot of other notable works. She always made her heroines and her characters see their own folly. And this is what she wrote. It's so beautiful. Youthful idealism, pride, and criticalness of others is only tempered by time, age, and personal failure. What is she saying? You know when you're young, you're idealistic. You know, it's very easy to point out other people's faults. You just can't see your own. And a lot of, lot of the bad things that have happened in our world have happened because people have exploited young people, given them a sense of idealism, and they're full of pride and criticalness, and it really creates a lot of problems. Matter of fact, we, we know when we are growing up. This is when we know we're maturing, when we realize how weak and easily self-deceived we have been about ourselves and others. How's that? When you can't see your own faults, that's problematic. It is a wise young person who learns to listen to the wisdom of older, more godly and experienced people, particularly their parents. That's wisdom. We need to learn how to do that. We have a culture today that has no honor for older people. That's folly. That's unwise in this culture. We're gonna suffer for that and we're seeing it already. But here's the one that I want to get to too. How does submission uh, appear in the lives of parents? How do parents submit? They train up their children. Listen to what it says here. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do you know what I see today? I'm going to give you. This is not just a criticism. This is an observation. And a lot of you are seeing it. A lot of parents, they don't discipline their kids anymore. A lot of misbehavior. Come on, it's true. You know, listen, you're not submitting to your kids. We need to, it's hard work to be a parent that's gonna train children properly. That takes work. It's a lot easier to just let them do what they want. That's sinful. You're doing your children great disservice. You need to instruct them. You need to take the time with them. You, need, you don't have to be harsh. I, I'm not talking about being harsh here. I'm talking about being loving, firm, instructive, uh, play with them, love on them, have fun with them. But then, you know, when you tell them something, they listen. They respect you. They know that when you say something, you mean it. You're going to back it up. You're not going to let them do their own thing. It's good for them. Kids need to learn to have boundaries, folks. Do you know why people have no boundaries today? Because they never got taught it. It's an indictment against the parent. A lot of times I look at children and I go, the problem isn't the kids here, folks. It's the parent. Come on now. It's getting real quiet in here. That's okay. Remember I told you it's going to be the practical side of submission. It's hard work. It's not fun. It's not easy. So let me close with these words. How many know God's word is his will? Everybody know that's true? I don't care how you feel about something. A lot of us go, yeah, but I don't feel it. I could care less how you feel. I'm being honest. I'm more concerned about your obedience to God's word. That's the most important thing. Your feelings will follow your actions. You know, if I, if I read a word of scripture and I go, you know, I don't feel like doing this, but it says me to do this, I'm gonna go do that. And then eventually my feelings catch up to my will. 
Oh, that's fun. I get it. Oh, I see the value of this. There's benefits in doing the right thing. Okay. But I like what Richard Foster says. He says, to applaud the will of God, to do the will of God, even to fight for the will of God is not difficult until it comes at cross purposes with our will. And then the lines are drawn. How many here have ever had a moment in your life where you're going, what I want to do and what God wants me to do are two different things. Anybody ever had that moment? Anybody? Come on, you guys. You've never had that moment? You've got to decide. What am I going to do here? And what I'm telling you to do is don't listen to your feelings. Just do what the Word of God says. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. You know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I want to do God's will. And then God says, well, I want you to be full of the Spirit. I want you to have self-control. I want you to forgive your spouse. I want you to discipline your child. You know, I hate disciplining my kids. I hated it, but I did it. Not because I liked it. I, I, I actually was harder on me. And you, they, they probably don't believe that, but it was tearing me up on the inside to have to discipline them because I didn't really want to do it. But I did it anyways because I knew that's what they needed. See what I'm getting at? You do the right thing. So the basis of submission is submitting ourselves to one another or giving way to one another. Submission is giving way to somebody else. Anne Atkins in her book, Split Image, says, before we can hope to be good husbands or wives or good parents and good children or good whatever, she says, we need to learn to be good Christians. And we must all become self-sacrificial and submissive. This is the key. You want a healthy home? This is it. I'm giving it to you. You know, you cannot understand marriage or what a godly home should look like apart from God's love for us. He's modeled it for us. Filling that void in our lives, having our deepest met, needs met can only come from God. Your, your spouse isn't going to meet your deepest needs. Your children aren't going to meet your deepest needs. Your friends aren't going to meet your deepest needs. God is. He's the only one. See, you and I are too needy. I'm going to say it again. You and I are too broken. There's too many needs in our soul. We need, the, we need the love of God to fill that vacuum inside of us. So if you feel broken today, vulnerable, you know, you don't feel all your needs are being met, I hear that a lot. My needs aren't being met, Pastor. Go to God. Go to God. He's the only one that can meet that need. See, we've got to get healthy before we can help people. Makes sense. Right? The healthier you become, the more you can help others. But let me close with this thought. From that surrender, we can will, willingly surrender to another person. When we're surrendered to God, and I believe God's in control, then I can relax. I go, hey, I can, hey you want to do that? Fine, let's do it. Right? No problem. Not a problem. Our rights are not the issue anymore. Pleasing God is. Isn't that what it's all about? At the end of the day, I love to please my family. I love to please my church family. But I also know one thing. I could never please any of you all the time. It's impossible. So I'm really targeting one person to please. Who do you think I'm trying to please? God. I feel like if I please God, more people will be helped. I will be happier with myself. Patty will be happier with me. My children will be happier with me. Even you'll be happier with me. Except for the grumpy people. No. <laughs> Let's stand. 
with every head bowed this morning, how many can see that this is a core issue in relationships? Submission. It's not a word that we hear a lot about today. And I'm not surprised that we're having a lot of problems in our culture today because we don't understand this idea that I just talked about. It's not you three children, wives, and employees have to submit. I said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands need to submit. Employers need to submit. Parents need to submit. It just expresses itself differently. How many here say, you know, Pastor, I struggle with submission? Let's be honest. I struggle with submission. Just raise your hand. That's me. You know, I have a tendency to be a little bit of a rebel. Come on. You cannot deal with this stuff unless you admit it. Step one, you want to go to an AA meeting? First thing they'll tell you is you have to admit you're an alcoholic. Step number one, you cannot live in denial. See, the problem in most of us is we pretend we, we don't have a problem. But meanwhile, everything around us is falling apart. We have a problem, Houston, right? If we're little rebels at heart and we're struggling with submitting to God, how in the world are we going to submit to our leaders and to our families? How are we going to do this? It's impossible. That's what it's going to be. But if we say, okay, God, I have a major problem. I'm a bit of a rebel, and I know it's problematic in my life, and I'm going to ask you to come and help me because I see that you submitted. And if you live inside of me, I can learn how to submit. And I have to learn to trust you at a level I've never trusted you before. I think some of us in this room are afraid that if we really submitted the way God asked us to, people would take advantage of us. I don't think so. I'll tell you why. If I do what God's asking me to do, I'm trusting God to take care of the rascal that's supposed to be doing these other things. And believe me, if somebody starts exploiting, manipulating, and abusing a person, God's going to deal with that person, and I don't want to be that person. True? Because God will deal with you. You won't be, it'll come down hard and heavy. God's going to deal with this stuff. Believe me, he will. I read the Bible. Every single human being is going to stand before God one day and give an account for their life. It's going to happen. We're going to give an account. And when I meet Jesus, the only thing I want to see is he's a savior. He's my Lord. He's the one I submitted my life to. He's the one that I obeyed. He's the one I yielded to. He's the one I look forward to. He's the one that made my life meaningful. He gave me an abundant life. He blessed me beyond my, my mind and comprehension because I decided to surrender myself fully to him. So let's pray today. How many say, you know what, Pastor? I need the spirit of Jesus living in me so I can surrender completely to him, submit totally to him, and I can live a life of submission. Is that you? Raise your hand. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just see hands all over the place. We're thankful for it. My hands are up. I want to walk in submission. I want to walk in love. I want to, I don't, it's not about what I want, it's what you want. What you want is always the best. So Lord, we pray your will be done in every family. My, I, I, I wrote the names of all these families this morning in my church family. I started praying, I said, Lord, do a miracle in their marriages. Do a miracle in their families, Father. Do a miracle in their hearts, Lord. Help us to become better fathers, mothers, 
husbands, wives, employers, employees, whatever it is that you're calling us to, Lord, help us to live a life of submission to you, that we would live to please you and trust you like never before. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.